I want to speak to you on the subject tonight, minister to you on the subject tonight from Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, some people don't see God at all. They don't see God in creation. They don't see God in human affairs. They don't see God in their own lives. In fact, they don't even believe God. Uh, They're so blind to seeing God that they believe that God doesn't even exist. For others, they have partial sight. They can see God in 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 various forms, but they don't have a clear vision of who he is or what he's doing or what perspective he has about what's going on. But this verse, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This comes from the wonderful Beatitudes. That's what we call them in Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. A sermon that is all about how to live the Spirit-filled life. That's its theme. And uh, the Beatitudes, that's what we call them, from the, because it's a series of blessings. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those that hunger for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And each one of these Beatitudes, or blessings, carries with it a promise that comes along with a certain attitude, a B-attitude. The Beatitudes are actually uh, another way of talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You ever heard of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5? Love, joy, peace, patience, uh, generosity of heart, uh, steadfastness, faith, all these types of things. It's the same thing. The Christian life is not about laws and outward regulations. It's about character formed in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Every beatitude has a promise. If, the, if you allow the Holy Spirit to bring forth this characteristic, then you can be sure that you will begin to increasingly experience the promise that is with it. So, blessed are those that are pure in heart. Why? For they will see God. What does that mean? It means that they will be able to see, firstly, God at work. They'll see God at work. Uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us that God has shown and demonstrated his mighty power by everything that's created in the universe. Do you see God in a flower? Do you see God in birds? Do you see God in the park? Do you you see God in the face of your fellow human being? I'm always astounded at times when I just see God in something. God in an animal, God God in a flower, God God in in nature. When I say God in, I mean God behind. It's God's work. It's it's God that has crafted it. I I get amazed by little things. I'm amazed by the fact we have just the right amount of air and oxygen to keep us alive. I'm I'm amazed that God's fine-tuning, that gravity is just enough to keep my feet on the ground. 
If it was any heavier, I wouldn't be able to get up. If it was any lighter, I would be flying all around the place. I'm amazed at how on a beautiful sunny day, you can lift your face to the sun and you can feel the warmth of the sun on your face. And it amazes me, the fine tuning, just a little bit relatively closer to the sun and the earth would be fried like an egg. Just a little bit relatively further away from the sun and it would just be an a mass of, of lifeless uh, ice. It just amazes me. It amazes me about fish in the sea and how well suited they are, not only to be able to breathe, if I can use that word, with their gills in the sea, but their buoyancy, the way they can rise. There is no way on earth that anything could evolve in stages to produce, to produce those things. I'm amazed about how, how the human eye is so complex in its form that if, if one little bit wasn't working, then the whole wouldn't work. Seeing God in what he's doing, seeing God at work, but not just in creation and noticing that. And, you know, sometimes we can't see the wood for the tree. Creation is a great gift. Do you know that? And we should try and spend, I know it's difficult in a busy type, busy place like, like London, but if we're able to, to get out, to go down by even the Thames River, just to feel a little bit more the greatness of the forces of nature, do you know it has a powerful effect of, of um, blowing the cobwebs out of our mind and putting things back in perspective? But not only to see God at work in creation, number one, but also, number one, to see God at work in history. To see God at work in, in the nations. To see God at work in our personal lives and our circumstances. The capacity to see God. Not many people can see God at work in the nations. Not many people can discern what, is, what can I see God doing in my life tonight. What is God doing in your life and circumstances right now? Can you see what he's doing? Cell leaders, what is God seeking to do in your cell members right now? The things they're going through, the places they are in life. Parents, what about your children? What can you see God at work in their lives? So number one, when we were talking about seeing God, is to see God at work. Number two, it's to see through his eyes, his perspective. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will not only see God at work in creation, in history, in the nations, in their circumstances, in their, they'll begin to see it, but also they'll begin to see as God sees. They'll begin to see what God thinks about what's going on here. See what God thinks about injustice. See what God thinks about righteousness. They will look at something and they'll be able to see, do you know, I can see, I know God's perspective on this. I can see how God's feeling about me. I can see the way that God sees it. So to see God at work, to see God's perspective, to see things through his own lenses, his own eyes. And then, and thirdly, to see God in his glory. To see God in his glory. In other words, we see God at work in creation. We see things through God's perspective. I know, what God, I know how God sees what's just happened. But thirdly, to see God in his glory. Who he is in his character in his greatness and his mercy. And the more that we see God as he really is, in his glory that is, 
the more we will worship him. Worship comes from seeing who God really, really is. When the glory of God, which is his presence, his power, his reputation, and you see God and recognize God, and you fall on your face, as it were, because you've seen him. You know, God can be in a place where one person sees him and worships him, and another person doesn't see him and uh, discounts him. So that's what we're talking about. We're saying, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God at work. They will see from God's perspective, and they will see God increasingly in his glory and just be amazed. You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I'm just praying or praising, or I'm in my car and I just see something about God, his character, his nature, Uh, or I read in the scriptures and suddenly I see God and what he did in that circumstances and I'm amazed, I'm astonished. I think of God sending his son to die for us and I think about what that really means and the cost and the price and, and how much God loves us to do that and I begin to think that is amazing. And what, what, what happens is when you think something is amazing, it makes you want to say thank you. It makes you want to, to worship him. It makes you grateful when you see God as he really is. I think of Moses as an example of someone who was pure of heart and saw God in a powerful way. Exodus thirty three eleven. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face. As a man speaks to his friend. Wow. To see God, as it were, face to face. And to know God as a man knows his friend. Think about that. Way back in the Old Testament, Moses was having FaceTime. FaceTime with God. Now, when you think about having FaceTime with one another, whether it is through some device or not other, you know, when you, when you meet someone, someone you really respect or, or somebody that you really like and, and that you really value, and you can talk over the phone and you can uh, even Skype is, is good, but, but when you're sitting face to face over a meal or when you haven't seen them for a while and there you are, there's no block between you. There's no, there's no Skype even between you. You're just face to face. You're in one another's presence. There's nothing better than that, that type of relationship. And Moses saw the Lord face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Well, why was that? What was going on? Well, Psalm 103 verse 7 gives us an indication of what was going on with Moses seeing God in a way that others didn't. Psalm 103 verse 7. God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. God made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. There's a big difference between the two. Now, when we spoke about Israel, it says God showed his acts to Israel. In other words, that they saw the effects of God's movements and God's actions. They saw the effect of God's miracles, the opening of the sea, the fire and the pillar, the miracles in Egypt and the judgments in Egypt. They saw the miracles. They saw the effects. They ate the bread 
the manna in, in the wilderness. They ate the bread. They drank water, miraculous water from the rock. They did these things, but they didn't understand what it spoke about God. They didn't understand the, why God was doing it, what God was revealing. I mean, this is what Jesus said to the, um, to the Pharisees in John's Gospel. He said, you lot, you ate manna in the wilderness and you drank water from the rock, but you didn't know who it came from. And so we can be in a position, even as Christians, even as Christians, where we can see God's breakthrough. We can see God's answers to prayer. We can see God's effects in the earth or in the church. And we see the effects, but we don't understand the person behind them, what it's saying about them. We, we see the effects, but we don't know the person. It's a bit like the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel, it says that the Holy Spirit, John chapter 3, that the Holy Spirit is like the wind. And the wind blows where it wills. You can feel its effect. You go out on a windy day, you feel the wind. But the Holy Spirit is not an inanimate force. The Holy Spirit is a person. So many people can feel the effects of the Holy Spirit, but not know the person behind it. The Israelites saw um, God's act. They saw the effects of God at work. Right now in the world, you know, God is at work. God is judging the powers powerfully. God is shaking powers that haven't been shaken for decades and a generation or two. He is shaking the powers. You can feel his effects, but do you know the God and his purposes? Do you know his ways, not just his Effects. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. In other words, the people of Israel saw God at work, but he said to Moses, let me tell you why I'm doing this. Let me tell you what my character is. Remember when, God, when Moses saw God's glory and God's back pass behind him? And what a powerful revelation, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and compassionate. Having mercy on whom he will have mercy. What a powerful revelation that is. When we're talking about sight, they shall see God. I've already mentioned that there is a picture, therefore, of those that don't see God. They're blind. Or only see him partially. You think of the Pharisees in the New Testament. Jesus called them the blind leading the blind. The Pharisees said to Jesus at one stage, when Jesus had healed the man blind from birth, it was the first time he'd ever seen light. And the Pharisees said, you shouldn't have been healed on the Sabbath. Give glory to God, Jesus is a sinner. And he refused to do it. And at the end of that conversation, they, they said to Jesus, are you saying that we are spiritually blind? And Jesus said, the problem is, is that you think that you see. And because you think that you see, that's why you're blind. Some people think that they see, but they don't see at all. Do you remember the man who Jesus healed? And it was a, a staged healing. He couldn't see, and Jesus prayed for him. And then the man said, I see people walking around as trees. He had partial vision. You know, each one of us here today watching uh, on the internet, we have partial vision. 
We are gearing up. We're involved. We're moving out. We're stepping out. We've launched. The pistol has been fired. On our marks, get set, go into our 2020 vision. We've got a section, Revival Times, talking about the things we should be focusing on this month. 2020 vision. But not many of us, if any of us, have 2020 vision when it comes to seeing God. We see God faintly. We see God in a mist. There are impurities in our sight that need removing. We don't see God at work as clearly as we should. We don't see God's perspective as clearly as we should. And we don't see God in his glory that brings a response of worship as clearly as we should. You know, sometimes your sight can play tricks on you. It's called an illusion. An illusion. What's the definition of an illusion? Well, the definition of an illusion or an optical illusion, a sight illusion, is something that deceives the eye by appearing to be other than it is. Something that deceives the eye by appearing to be other than it is. Or an experience of seeming to see something which does not exist or is other than it appears. So an illusion is when you think you see, but you don't see. You think you've got the right perspective, but you haven't. You're looking, you're seeing, but what you're seeing isn't really real at all. Have you ever, heard, have you ever seen an optical illusion? I'm going to show you one right now. Uh, when it comes up on the screen, uh, don't shout out what you see, but think in your mind, what do you see? Let's have the first one up, see if this works. And let's have that. Uh, there we go. Now, don't say what you see, but have a look at that. And think, so what do I see? All right. How many people in the place today see the beautiful side of a young woman, lift your hand. All right, hands down. How many of us here see a rather old woman that had seen better days? Oh. Now, those of you that can see the young woman, can you see the old woman? And those of you that saw the old woman, can you see the young woman? No? Some yes. Right? If it, to see the young woman, look at the chin. This, the nose becomes the chin, all right, of, of the young woman. The nose becomes the chin. And to see the old woman, the chin becomes the nose. Isn't that interesting? Let's have another. Let's have the next one up now then. Just give you a few moments to, to prepare it. I'm just saying that it's, often it's how we see, not what we see. So people can be saying, oh, okay. Now, don't, don't shout it out. Have a look. What do you see? What do you, don't shout it out. What do you see? How many of you see a duck? Okay. How many of you see a rabbit? How many see both? How many can't see both? Okay, so the beak, the ears of the rabbit become the beak, and the beak of the duck becomes the rabbit. 
I think I'm making the point here today. We could do this. All, we could do. We could do this all night. We could do this. All, all right. Well, well, that's it. We got two. You see, looking at the same thing but from a different perspective, isn't isn't that really what the kingdom of God is all about? History all about. So we are looking at things, but the question is. When we look at the same thing, do we see it from this perspective or that perspective? It, they were the same pictures, but when you looked at it from one perspective, you saw one thing, a very different thing. And when you looked at it from another perspective, you saw another thing, a very different thing. Isn't this what seeing God in our, in, at work seeing God's perspective and seeing God as he is. It's not really about circumstances immediately changing for you. It's about how you accurately view the circumstances. It's how you see that. And it's really even more than that. It's how does God see it? One of the biggest difficulties for us to progress in the kingdom of God is when we see a perspective that isn't in line with how God sees it. And what we need to do is we need to go and, and get God the Holy Ghost optician to help us begin to see things we can't see. Every year or so, maybe you do if you need it, I go and see the optician. And I sit there with the optician and uh, I'm sitting there and she gets these big lenses and glasses and she puts them on and she keeps better Worse, better, worse. And we're there for like 10 minutes, better, worse, until I don't know. I said, I have no idea, I don't know, please. I'm just so tired of this better, worse thing. I don't know, I don't know. What is it, better? Oh, I don't know, I don't know. It was better than it was five minutes ago. <laughs> better, worse. Well, the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives because he's at work in our heart. You say, well, how do we see God at work better? How do we see things from God's perspective better? How do we see God as he is better and begin to worship him? It's the Holy Spirit. He's our optician. But the way that we come into a clearer focus and to see God in those three ways I've mentioned is God does his work in our hearts. What is it like to be under illusion? It's like to be watching a mirage. A fantasy. There are many, many, many Christians, forget the world, who are seen often as blind, spiritually blind. They can't see anything. But there are many, many Christians that they might not be blind, but they're looking at a mirage. They're seeing the world the way that the scriptures do not see it. They're mixing what they see from what the world's view and the scriptures view. And they're going around looking at a mirage of their own creation. They're seeing things, but those things aren't a reality. Don't look at things as you would like them to be, but look at things as they really are. It's one of the biggest mistakes we can make. We don't like what's going on, so we see something differently. We refuse to see the reality of a circumstance, and so instead we begin to see a mirage of our own invention. We live in fantasy land. We make things up. We, we call things as they aren't instead of as they are. 
And when the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and we yield him and ask him to work in our hearts to bring a purifying view, we begin to face up, whether happy or sad, to things the way they are. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's that? Blessed are those that see things as they really are messed up. They shall be comforted. Why? Because God's going to show them how to begin to deal with them. Pure in heart. Now, this word pure, blessed are the pure in heart, because the purity of heart depends the clarity of sight. Now, this word pure in the Greek is katharos. Katharos. It's where we get the word we use as uh, catharsis, a cathartic, which means catharsis, to clean, to clean out to clean clothes, to cleanse, catharsis. Blessed are those that are cleansed in heart. Well, what does this mean? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. I'm not going to get you all out here at the front, weeping and wailing, counting out your sins, all right? Because very often that type of style is simply external, external uh, uh, attempts to change the deep, deep currents of our hearts. But when we're talking about a cleansing by the power of the Holy Spirit, no human being can do this, although human beings can call on the Holy Spirit to do it. And if you call on the Holy Spirit to do it, guess what? It's the Holy Spirit that is leading you to call upon him. He's the, first, he's the beginning and the end. Now, when we talk about the heart, when we talk about the heart being our sight, what are we talking about? We're talking about the intentions of the heart. We're talking about the attitudes of the heart. We're talking about the disposition of the heart, the way the heart is set towards things, situations, and people. We're talking about the meditations of the heart, what the heart meditates on. And we're talking about the reactions of the heart. So when we're talking about seeing God more clearly, I can see God at work. I can see God at work in this. I can see God at work in that. I see God. I see him. Or I see how God sees this now. I see how God sees me. I see how God sees him. I see how God sees what's going on. Oh, I see God in his greatness and his glory. I'm so grateful. I, I didn't realize how marvelous, how wonderful. If we're talking about a greater sight, we're talking about these things of the heart, the intentions, the desires, the attitudes, the disposition, the way your heart is set towards or against things, the meditations, what you think about, and the reactions, how you re react and respond to what goes on in your life. These things determine whether you see God or whether you see an illusion or whether you don't see at all. Matthew chapter 6 um, is it verse 20, verse 22, Michelle? I can't remember. Ah, there it is. Yes, Matthew 6, 22. Let's read this. The lamp of the body. Matthew 6, 22 to 23. Very powerful this from what I've been saying, I believe. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Wow, that is powerful. In other words, our eye, 
our eye, the, and this is, he's speaking spiritually, not physically here. He's speaking spiritually, isn't he? He's not talking about physical sight. He's using physical sight to talk about something even more important than physical sight, spiritual sight, and he's using light. And he's saying that if our eye, our heart, is working properly, then we will see light. We will see things as they are. We'll have sight. But if our body is full of darkness, then that's all that we will see. A people that are seated in great darkness have seen a great light. That was a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. People in darkness seeing light. Well, let me, let me go on a, little, a stage further, one stage further now. I've spoken about the areas, the intentions, the attitudes, the dispositions, the medica- med- medications. It's because I saw you, Dr. Tywo. The reactions, these things, how are they doing? What's going on in the heart? We need the Holy Spirit to show us and begin to, to make corrections and to go to God on these things. You know, the circumstances that you face and the people that surround you, that you like and don't like, have been put there to help you sort out the issues of the heart. Every circumstance, bad or good, every person, nice or not so nice, all of them are there by God to help you deal with these issues of life, to find out what's really going on inside so that the Holy Spirit can cleanse catharsis, cleanse and purify you by his work so that you can see better. It was like Colin was saying this morning, God always, now listen, God always works from the inside out. That was the Pharisees' problem. They tried to work from the outside in. What you wear, what you ate, what you didn't eat, where you went, where you didn't go, who you met with, who you didn't meet with. It was all external. And Jesus said, you're whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're dead men's bones. Let God do his work in your heart, I plead to you. Let God do his work in your heart. When, your, when things come up in your heart, they're coming up for a purpose to be dealt with. To, 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 to take to the Holy Spirit. God's work. The, the heart of the trouble is trouble in the heart. And when we talk about being charismatic and Pentecostals, what we really need to realize is that God's greatest work of the Holy Spirit takes place in your heart and your intentions and your attitudes. That's where God is at work. Oh, God, change my circumstance. God, heal me. God, provide for me. God, give me a breakthrough in my life. All these things are are what God does. It's his acts, and he did them to the people of Israel. He made his acts known to the people of Israel. But what God wants is his ways. He wants, and the ways of God are understood in the heart. He wants you to know what he's like. He wants, to know, wants you to know how he feels. He wants you to know how he reacts. God wants you, your heart to become like his heart. So as the Holy Spirit works deep in our hearts, he also wants us to see God's heart. Because God's heart then can become our heart. There's someone you can't stand and God says, let me show you how I feel in my heart about this people. You see God's perspective on that person and the change begins, begins to happen in your 
heart. God gives you a vision of the lost. God gives you a vision of a city. God gives you a vision of a fallen nation. God gives you a vision. God gives you a vision. And he's revealing his heart to you so that your heart can also feel his heart and change to become like his. This is revival. Revival is not a group of people falling down under the power of God. As wonderful as that is. It's not, just the sh- it's not just the shaking and the, it's what's going on on the inside that really matters. And I'm telling each one of you, God is at work in your heart. Whether you feel close to him or far from him, whether you're here tonight and you, you say, well, I'm not even a Christian. You're here tonight. God is working in your heart to bring you here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm watching, the, uh, I'm watching the, the screen. I'm not a Christian tonight. God brought you to the screen to watch the service tonight. God is working in your heart. Can you see God? Firstly, see that he is working. Working, working, working. Never gives up, never stops. Even when we we go away from him, he's still working in our heart. This is what he does. This is what he does. He works in human hearts. More than anything, he works in human hearts. That's what he does. The human heart is the most precious thing in the whole universe. And God's eyes, God's focus, God's attention, more than anything in the world, is on the heart's of human beings. More than anything, once we begin to understand that, then we will be putting ourselves in a great position for God to do an amazing work in our hearts. And we won't be doing it ourselves in our own strength, but we'll be saying, "What is? look what God is doing. Look what God is showing. Oh dear, look how I'm reacting. God help me. I've just seen how I'm reacting. And God is saying, yes, I'm going to help you with that so that you can grow and mature in your hearts. Uh, I want to finally give you a picture of what does a pure heart look like that sees God. Just a couple of indications. I was really encouraged when I heard Colin speak this morning because I haven't spoken to him about any of this. And, and, but just when he was talking about uh, pure hearts being simple hearts, it really touched me because that's what I believe a pure heart is. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47 is in the midst of a wonderful description of the early church in Acts. It's the model church. If you want to know what the church should look like, have a look in Acts chapter 2, and, uh, and you'll see this description. They broke bread together. They, they were in the temple daily. They were in the houses daily. And here, look at this. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Where's that simplicity of heart bit? I, was, I keep putting the, uh, oh, I'm going to have to turn to it now. Okay, Acts. Sometimes I put the wrong scriptures down. Luckily, or was that a different translation? Acts chapter 2. Oh, yes, sorry. Acts chapter 2, 46. Is that what was up? Oh, I missed it then. Continuing daily with one in mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with the gladness, and here it is, simplicity of heart. Simplicity of heart. That's what I really want to leave you with tonight. Simplicity 
of heart. The Greek word for that simplicity of heart speaks, speaks of a smoothness of a stone. In other words, the simplicity of heart, there's no ruggedness in it. It's a smooth heart for the Lord. The simplicity of heart. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. They ate with simplicity of heart and gladness. Matthew chapter 18 verse 3 talks about how that the kingdom of God, if we want to appreciate and see the kingdom of God, then we need to see the kingdom as a child sees the kingdom. We cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we enter it as a child in Matthew 18, 3. Now, what does that mean? It means a childlike simplicity and trust of God. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, that we should be innocent as doves and wise as serpents. Okay? So we've got innocence, we have childlikeness, and we have simplicity. And I think, I've been thinking a lot about people that I've met, people that I know in the congregation, who, who I think have pure hearts. And I think when it all comes down to it, I would say that they have this simplicity before God. They have this childlike faith in God. And they have this innocency when it comes to the things of God. That doesn't mean that they're stupid, uneducated. On the contrary, I was thinking of one particular person that I know who is a professor, well, knew, he's not with, who was a professor of physics. Okay, you don't get much cleverer than that. But when it came to the things of God, he had a simplicity. He trusted the Lord. He trusted the Lord. Whatever was going on, he just believed God. And there was a simplicity of his heart before God. We can get too complex with God. He's the father and we're his children. We get too complex. Sometimes I find myself trying to work it all out when I should just trust God and his word, believe God, and, and just pray and ask my father in heaven and ask and keep asking, not keep knocking instead of think and keep thinking. Ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, seek and keep sinking, sink, seeking. <laughs> seek and keep sinking. He, seeking. He does not say think and keep thinking. Okay? There's nothing wrong with thinking. That professor of physicists, physis, physics, was thinking all the time. He was a clever, clever man. And he didn't throw his brains out when it came to Christianity. The end of, uh, uh, we're going to be very soon, the back of Revival Times, we're going to be talking about how we can defend our faith. I'm not talking about throwing your brains out, but I'm talking about a simplicity and purity before God. Trusting God, ha having childlike faith in God, which is Christian maturity. And so the imp impurities are the opposite of this. A faith, a simplicity, an, in an innocence with God, yet we're wise as serpents. We're no fools, but we trust God like a child trusts his father. We get simple with God. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me give you a key to being mature tonight. Get simple with God. Get simple. With, just get simple with him. Get simple with God. Just get simple with God. Study your Greek. Study your Hebrew. Get your answers. Do all of that. But none of those things stop you from getting simple with God. It's the most powerful thing. I've had the greatest breakthroughs in my life when I've got simple with God. Another word, another way of putting it is this. Humble yourself 
before Almighty God. Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, it's a wonderful place to get simple before God. You can be uh, as academic as, as, as you can. Like I've said, these two are not against one another. But simplicity before God is so releasing, so wonderful. Just to pray about it. You've worried about it. You've tried to figure it out. Well, how about just going to the Lord and praying and praying, knocking and knocking, asking and asking. How about a wisdom that comes from the Father instead of wisdom that comes from below? These things, this attitude will allow the Holy Spirit to purify your heart. So much difference than making an altar call and beating you up and saying you're going to hell if you don't repent and saying that God is angry with you because of your sin when really he's like a doctor that's trying to cure you of your sin. You know, do you get angry, doctor, when people come into your surgery with their sickness? Of course not. You try and help them, aid them, medicate them. God is not angry with the fact that we struggle with sin. (laughs) He is inside us trying to help us be freed from sin finally I've got to I want to show you something that was always very powerful in in my life as a a young boy it's called the um, the collect for purity or the prayer for purity and it's found in the alternative service book in the church of England and we used to say it in the church of England that I went to and uh, it, it always used to touch me if we could have it up on the screen. We asked for the whole of it to be up. So if we could have the whole of it up for the internet as well and keep it whole on the internet until I ask you to take it down. Almighty God, just, just meditate on this. As a, as a child, you know, it would always hit me. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Keep it up. Don't take it down because we're going to say it together. As a young boy, when I just remember in the service, this was one of the phrases as you'd go through it that I always used to think, wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. And so I I want us to be Anglicans for a few moments. Is that right? Church, you're in HTB tonight. Amen. And I just want us to pray this from our heart because it is to the Holy Spirit. It's about everything that we're talking about. Are you ready? Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.